I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. 2, 39 through 52, Luke 2, 39 through 52. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew. He waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year to feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Some why in the world are you dealing with us in this matter? That's my input, okay? Uh, Behold, your father and I have sought these sorrowing. We were upset. We were scared. We didn't know where in the world you was. And here you are sitting with these Weisenheimers trying to, to figure all this out. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with being around Weisenheimer. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know I was going to be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which is spoken to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in, their heart, in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom. He increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Turn, shake somebody's hand that looks better than you, and then you may be seated. <laughs> I didn't mean that for you now, you know. <laughs> Just think that person that just shook your hands thought that you look better than them. What a what a compliment that was. What a compliment. <clears throat> when God allows a couple to raise children, now whether these children are uh, by birth or by adoption, he entrusts to those parents a weighty responsibility to train their children. It's, an, it's a trust. Believe it or not, children do not grow up as responsible and productive citizens on their own. There are some people that I know personally that believe that. We like to have children, but we don't like to mess with raising them. They let them raise themselves. And uh, that's why that we have got a world today that is full of children that don't have a clue what's going on. And I want you to understand something. I consider children, children, until they're 25 to 30, bases, base, of course, based upon uh, how they act. And I do know some children that are 40 years old. So, so, you know, a lot of these people are just simply were left on their own. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have anyone to raise them correctly. Charles Stanley said in training our children, he said, <clears throat> he asked this question, he said, what is your goal in raising children? What do you want to accomplish in raising them? And I think that has to be asked. The Bible teaches that parents, the parents' top priority in child rearing should be spiritual. According to Proverbs 22.6, where I just read to you, training up a child in the way they should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. 
So our primary task is to prepare our sons and daughters to walk according to God's plan, will, and purpose in their lives. We, to, we are to instill in them an unshakable faith that will protect them from the assault of the devil. We have to instill that in them because they're going to be assaulted on every corner. Regardless, when you're young, like this group in front of me right here, when you're young, you're young, you think you know, you, the, the world is your oyster. That's an old saying. So you young ones who listen to rap music would never understand that. <clears throat> but, but that's what you think, and you think you've got your whole life before you, and everything's going to be perfect, and before long, you know, you, you, you just, you, life begins to go by and go by, and then you wake up one day, and you're 40 years old. You wake up the next day, and you're 50 years old, and you wake up the next day, and you're as old as me. And, and, and that's the way it works, and then all of a sudden you say, what happened? What happened? All these plans that I had, what happened to them? You can do right. If you listen and live by the precepts of the Word of God, you can have a very good life. You can have a very, very good life. And Think about this. And, and before I say this, I want to qualify this remark so that you won't turn me off. Not everything that is out there is bad. But I will say this. When parents take the time and they make the effort to prepare or develop, let me just put it this way, develop their children for engaging in sports activities or expressing their musical talents or belonging to social organizations or all these kind of endeavors. Well, you know, why do they do that? While some of these activities, again, I'll say this, they can be worthwhile and may help children in life. How do they compare with developing a children's spiritual life? If you cannot give equal time to developing the spiritual life, all you're doing by developing these sports activities, music, all this other thing that goes along with it, you're just you're hurting the child. You're not helping the child. Children need a basis. They need they need a, a, a bedrock, if you would, a foundation to be able to stand on in order for them to understand life as a whole. There's a lot of lies out there, a lot of lies. Stanley observed, he said, developing their spiritual lives should be to the parents a top priority. Nothing is more important. We have a limited number of years while that opportunity to instill spiritual values in them exists, and we have to give it our best effort and, and, and take advantage of every, every precious moment. Every precious moment. Parents are not just people who have children. There is more to good parenting than physical reproduction of offspring. I know this. I might as well just be out there and honest, haven't we? I know some men who think that they're real men because they can make 15 kids. It's true. I'd rather see one man make one child and raise that child up and see that child sitting in the church loving God. That is a real man. That is a real man. And if you're able to have 15 and raise them all right and not go bankrupt, then so, you know, more power to you. I forget what the latest numbers was on raising children to 21. I, I used to know that. I want to say it was, I want to say seven, $800,000, something in the nature of raising one child to the age of 21. Just think about that. Before you have a child, you could save that money. <laughs> go on a Caribbean cruise 
Now, I tell you what, if you're just having a child for the sake of having a child and not thinking about the future, you're better off going on a Caribbean cruise. Much better. Parenting involves responsibility, and a great part of that responsibility includes training and restraining. Training and restraining. Everybody say it with me. Training and restraining. Uh, in the front of me here, within the first four uh, aisles here, will you, will you raise your hand if you know what restraining means? Give me a definition of restraining, not you. Hold back. Okay, let, let me ask you with that term, hold back. Does that seem to be a little harsh? Just your thoughts. It's not, it's not a trick question, just your thoughts. Okay. Restraining is holding back harsh, Tony. Is that what restraining means? Some, some, some adults, they understand consequences, but they will tell you that their child needs to learn it the hard way. You think that's a wise way of putting anybody else? Want to, do you have your hand up or do you just watch? No. Do you think that we should allow our children to find out the hard way? Go ahead. You can tell that you're of my age. <laughs> I still believe in popping them in the mouth. Go ahead. <laughs> Do, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't Kim, just again. Okay. You were a you were a hard head. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. You agree? <laughs> Go ahead, Brother Grace. They have to understand. You, you hear about the young, hard-headed 
young man that, were, that was helping his father in the blacksmith shop, correct? Anybody heard about that? And his father told him, he said, you know, you don't, you don't touch those horseshoes that we're making until you quench them, until you, you, you cool them off. Well, he was working on a horseshoe, laid it on the anvil, and the boy picked it up, and he quickly threw it down. His dad told him, he said, I told you it was hot, wasn't it? He said, no, it just doesn't take me long to look at a horseshoe. And I've heard some of you make the st- I mean, that's what you're, you're saying here. Some kids are just, are just hard-headed, and they've got to burn themselves on a horseshoe. And then even after they burn themselves, they still don't want to admit they made a mistake. But that does not, does not take the responsibility from us to try to teach them and restrain them. And we're going to talk about show, show you some examples of restraining and not restraining here in just a few moments. You know, kids don't come with their children, excuse me, kids are goats. Children do not come with instruction manual. Learning how to train and restrain children is a process that develops parents uh, that, that excuse me, that develops as parents learn by trial and error. Notwithstanding, many helpful how-to manuals are available, but the best, best manual to raise your children is the Holy Bible. It's absolutely, if you will take the time to study the scriptures about child-rearing, you will find the answers right there. Most of your self-help books, if you would, that are written are based on the scripture. Most of all of them are. And the Bible follows, you know, if you follow biblical principles, and it's the best, it is the best thing to do if you follow them as parents that you can possibly do for your children. All parents need assistance in their parental roles. And unfortunately, many parents feel lacking in knowledge and unqualified as parents until their children are raised. And when the children are raised, then you're a genius. And you, as grandparents, want to tell your children how, because you're a genius. So I just want you younger parents to realize that your mom and dad are geniuses. So listen to them when they tell you how to raise children. Isn't that good? <clears throat> We're geniuses. All grandparents are geniuses. <clears throat> At one time, I would have said that's not the case, but now I'm a grandparent, so I'm a genius. Okay, so they all need some, they all need some help. They, you know, We're shaping we're shaping the, the children's future. And, and if we allow it to go too long, if you wait till the fact that they're grown, and if you've not taken some of the right steps as children, then you, you, you're hurting them. And, and, and that time has passed. As children, that's all you have. One opportunity to shape them. And if you don't shape them, if you don't do it then, that opportunity will pass. There's biblical characters who provide scriptural examples of training and restraining their children, both positive and negative illustrations in the lives of people. For example, you can consider Moses, Samuel, and Timothy. They had parents who were up to the challenge of training uh, exceptional children. Moses grew up to be called the lawgiver, and he led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Samuel grew up to be an outstanding prophet, priest, and judge. Two books of the English Bible bear his name. And Timothy grew up to be Paul's assistant, and his name is born in the title of two of Paul's epistles. As we study this lesson concerning training and restraining our children, you need to apply the general principles of Scripture. You have to train and restrain our children, but we also need training and restraint as parents. We can talk about it. We can point fingers at our children. We can do all that, but 99.9% of the time, a child is out of control is because the parents are out of control. 
And if you do not practice discipline and restraint on yourself, you cannot expect your children to restrain, be restrained. You have to do it yourself. You have to show them by example. Now, though there were numerous parents in the Bible who were good examples as trainers of their children, I say the greatest example we have is that of Mary and Joseph. The child they trained was the Messiah. He was the great I Am who created the universe. Can you imagine that? You know, they're raising a child here who is the God of all glory, the creator of the universe, the one who made it all. And, there, and, you know, this has boggled my mind, and maybe some of you great theologians can help me. But when we begin to look at this and realize the paradox that they're facing here, the duality of Jesus' identity, he was God and he was man. As God, Mary and Joseph could teach him nothing. He did not already know. He was it. But as a man, he had the potential to learn what all children learn. How exactly this dual nature played out. How does the dual nature play out in Jesus Christ as a child? How does it play out? Think about that. Here, here he is, he's God. As a child, does the, does the nature of God have to leave him for a season and come back? You got anything on that, Tony? Go ahead. Very good. And to, to, to bolster that point, Hebrews 5.8 says this, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. As mortals, it's difficult, if not impossible, for us to understand this. Apparently, Jesus was able to differentiate what he knew as God from what he knew as man. And to imagine Joseph and Mary with that thought in mind dealing with him. 
I mean, it said that Mary had to ponder in her heart. We said, I must be about my father's business. When they went back to Jerusalem, she pondered these things. What was she really doing? Her question in her mind was, what, 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 am I, what can I do with this situation? You know, what is right for me and what is wrong for me? But the right thing was to go ahead and raise him just exactly like you would any child. Go ahead. Good. It's excellent. It's good. And now, he was 12 years old, and this is where a lot of times people get the thought of the, the time of accountability at being at 12 years old that comes from this particular verse of Scripture where it said that he was, uh, you know, he was 12 when he went back to Jerusalem was sitting and talking to learned men. Uh it's interesting. That's where a lot of times your way of thinking, again, they come from that. But, and also an interesting point with that is that the early Catholic Church believed the age of accountability was 21 years old because that was the age that a man could carry armor. So they put that at that point. Now, I personally think that the age of accountability is when a child can feel the Holy Ghost, receive the Holy Ghost, is accountable from that time. That's how I feel about it. Some much younger than others. But the fact remains that they are accountable. Now, I realize a child is a child, and they're going to mess up. They're going to do things that we don't necessarily agree with. That's why it's vital for the parent to keep the right example before them, because God will judge that child according to the parent as well. So that's, that's vital. But got some really good input here. Jesus' knowledge of the law reflected his parents' training. Now, you think about this one. It would appear that they both exposed him to the law and spent much time training him in the law. In his rebuke of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he referred to the law numerous times. The law of Moses was not something in which a child or a young person would ordinarily show a great deal of interest. It was detailed, it was complicated, and just to read its many passages is laborious. But to understand the nuances of the law required a, a much knowledge and effort. The knowledge that Jesus had of the law reflected much, much study. This says a lot about Mary and Joseph's effort in training Jesus. They not only had to be good teachers of the law, they had to exemplify its precepts. His respect for the law came from the teaching of his principles and from observing the living example of his parents. That's why he loved it so much. That's why sometimes I love hearing 
a child, even you know, can six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, who who can can look and maybe maybe they do it do it um, you know maybe it's a little harsh the way sometimes a child does it, but it's truth anyway. When they begin to point out the the problems that someone is has when it comes to living for God or what they're failing to do when it comes to living for God, a child can do it and do it very well. I mean, if you don't believe that, talk to some Sunday school teachers sometimes and find out what they've heard, or even the bus ministry, what they hear in those situations. A child knows. You realize the confusion that is, that is in a child's heart when he hears something preached from the platform or taught in a Sunday school class, and he goes home, and he hears something completely different from his father and mother. That's, that is total confusion. So it's, 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 uh, it's really wonderful when you begin to think about how um, uh, Mary and Joseph dealt with Jesus. And at any normal boy, Jesus grew. And he developed physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. And anyone observing him in the home or neighborhood would not have detected anything different about him. Although some of the apocryphal writings, and, and you read some of these uh, earlier writings, that they were not based on Scripture uh, but there were some writings where Jesus performed miracles at a young age. Now, the reason that we know it's not first, it's not backed up in the, by the Bible, and we know that Jesus understood the law, and a man could not enter, according to Numbers 4 and 3, could not enter into his ministry until the age of 30. That is the time he performed turning the water into wine. So he would not do his ministry, even though as a child he would have been fully capable of doing miracles. But he did not because he stood by the writings of the law. He stood completely. That tells us a great deal right there. In Luke 2.51 it says, And he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And although we know little of his childhood, Jesus obviously was trained to honor and obey his parents. Consider what, what a condescension, and, and, and Tony brought this very well, was required for him to submit himself to mere mortals. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So if you would take that scripture and, and understand here what it's saying, it's very difficult to understand how mortal parents could raise the eternal God within the flesh. But yet his thoughts and his ways are much higher than ours. And if we would look at it in these terms and realize that God knows exactly what he's doing and try to figure out every little nuance, if you would, of why he did what he did. We don't have to. We just need to know that his thoughts are above ours, his ways are above ours. And if we'll just accept that, trust in the Lord with all thy heart, lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Our paths will be directed when we accept the fact that Jesus is our one eternal God and we love him with all of our heart. Give him a real good hand clap of appreciation. You know, and the challenge with this, the challenge with this is that he submitted himself to his mortal parents. How much more should we be able to submit ourselves one to another? If God could submit himself to a human, surely we humans could submit ourselves to God. You know, you can sit back there, I'm going to do things my way regardless of what you say. Well, you're, you can. You're on your own. And the only submission that you're submitting to is to the devil. But if you can submit your ways to God, you will do your best to live the best possible life you can according to the Scripture. Submitting ourselves, Ephesians 5.21, one to another in the fear of God. 
And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Was I not be about my father's business? When Mary and Joseph took Jesus at 12 years of age to the temple in Jerusalem, he remained behind. And when they left to return home, he knew he was not with them. They traveled for three days before they missed him. And when they returned to Jerusalem, they found him in the temple setting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought you sorrowing. Jesus answered to his mother, underscored his knowledge of his mission. I must be about my father's business. Perhaps his biblical account has prompted many Christians, again, I made this statement early, to assume the age of accountability was age of 12. But it's possible for children to feel God uh, you know, is directing them in a special mission. This is the point we need to find here, that at an early age he realized in his humanity, if you would, his mission. How many young children, younger children, God has dealt with? And as parents, we don't talk to them about it. What if I, you know, one, one, one pastor made the statement to a 12-year-old girl. He went up to her and he said, what are you going to do with your life? She said, I'm going to be a missionary to China. And he kind of looked at her and he said, uh, you know, what prompted that? She said, well, God called me several years ago to be a missionary to China. And she was 12 years old. But she had that in her heart all this time. How many of you as parents would bother to ask your child at 11, 12, 13 years old, what would you even bother to ask? And how do we know what's going on? And how can we reinforce it? If, if Dara was telling me she's going to be a missionary to, to uh, uh, Barneo, that's a good place, uh, to Barneo, you'd love it in Barneo. There's still wild men, cannibals, and they eat people there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> she's going to be a missionary to Barneo. And, and, she, and she tells her mother that. And her mother just, you know, of course, Lori would never do that. But she'd just say, oh, yeah, yeah well, you're just, you know, you're just, you've read that somewhere. But what if God really did call her? And at the age of 12, she could begin to help and prepare her for something. Do you realize how great that would really be? That if you could catch that at an early age and begin to develop that child and help them to understand what could happen? There was a, there's a, uh, uh, Charles, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this, but Charles Berlitz, he was the grandson of Maximilian Berlitz, he was, who established what's called the Berlitz language method. As a child, he was spoken to by eight different people who addressed him in eight different languages. When he was a child, this is what happened. He grew up thinking, now this is what he thought. He grew up able to speak eight languages, and he thought that every person had his own individual language. He did not. He grew up thinking everybody had their own individual language, but he grew up speaking eight different languages. Now, what we're saying here is that he had people that spoke into his spirit, gave him the ability, if you would, or taught him uh, the ability to understand eight different languages. If a child gets a call to early age and we just don't uh, kind of push him off to the side, how great could we develop that child into being the kind of missionary, if you would, a home missionary, whatever it would be, how much, how much could we do for that child? You never know what God is doing in a situation. 
Now, I realize, and I'll be the first one to say it, that there's been children who got called or they, they felt like they were called into ministries or they were pushed, not called, they were pushed into ministries at, at a young age and they were out behind, you know, preaching behind a pulpit at eight or nine years old. Uh, I think that's too much pressure to put on them. But you can develop a person without putting them in that kind of situation. And you can tell pretty quickly how, how much or how serious a child is about something. So it's just, it's just interesting if we would begin to train up a, a very young person. And you'll think about this. Training has to begin when the mind of the youngster is agile, is flexible. And although we can learn at any age, as the mind ages, the ability to recall slows and, and it slows significantly. If you don't believe that, ask my wife. She'll tell you. It slows down as you get older. Children are able to absorb and recall large amounts of information more easily than their elders. So it's just that simple. It really gets embarrassing when you, when you talk to your children that are younger, your grandchildren, and they tell you things that have happened that you don't even have a clue that they happened, and they just happened last week. Now that, that, that's the way things are, but their minds are agile. They're flexible. They're, they're able to retain things. Some believers have misunderstood the second portion of the verse. And, and now, now this, is, this is one of these Robertson dilemmas. Bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Okay. Now, I've looked at it in the original language, and I've done all this, and, and I, I know, and, I, and I'll, I'll give it this. I will give it this. I believe that you can raise up a child. A child may not necessarily live for God the way they should, but they'll never lose the precepts that was taught to them. That'll always be there, and they can come back. Personally, I've had a trouble with that. I've always felt like that if you raise them the correct way, they won't leave it at all. So I, I, I am, I'm open here. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, well, you, you know, they'll not forget how they were raised, and they won't. I don't believe they will, especially if your child's not living for God. On the other side of it, the Bible says they'll not depart from it. So am I right in assuming that if everything is done correctly, they'll not leave God at all? Or is it just the fact that they will come back to God? You might want to help me with that. Go ahead. Good. 
Don't you wish, though, I'm trying to use the term wish, that you could save them the heartaches, the hurts, the scars, and then we go back to the original, what we talked about. You know, where, where some, some children, do they have to learn the hard way? But don't you wish you could save them from that? You know, and, and I, I understand that. And, and I, I, believe that. I believe that they never lose the precepts that were taught. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that you can raise them to such a point that they don't want to go out there. And a big part of that, again, is being... Being, being there is being with them, doing things with them, and showing them, setting the example of how to live for God. Don't create confusion in them. I mean, how many children have you seen that, that have, have come and can tell you, and I know and there's always bad in everything. I realize that. But so many people who didn't live the life before them that should have lived the right kind of life. Being consistent, it's a blessing, a very, very, very big blessing. So let's, let's, let's move on. That's uh, as partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4. It says we have the spiritual, all of us, regardless of who we are, we have the spiritual DNA required to be like the Lord. Because all children are creation of God, and they have a bit of God in them even before they give their lives to the Lord. As every artisan leaves a little bit of himself and everything that he makes, God leaves a little bit of himself and everyone when he brings him into this world. And this makes it easier to train children in the ways of the Lord. Children have a great potential if they receive the proper training. They will, however, still need the saving power of the cross in their lives. It doesn't make any difference how many good works you do. It doesn't make any difference uh, how much love you show, how much money you give to the poor. It doesn't make any difference. You still need the cross. You still need the power of the cross in order to be saved. You must be born again of the water and the Spirit. That is the power of the cross. And we have to have that. We, we must have that. Training could be thought of as starting a child in the right direction. And restraining would be stopping the child from getting the wrong, going the wrong direction. Parents have to be active in both areas of child rearing because their children are dependent on their guidance. Because children do not know how to do most of the things they need to do, parents must train them properly because the children uh, tend to do many things they should not do. Parents also must stop them and discipline them properly. Now, let's look at this a little bit. First Samuel 3.13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile and restrained them not. Talking about Eli the priest. He knew his sons were evil. He knew they were doing immoral things with, uh, with the women who came to the tabernacle. But he did not restrain them. He didn't stop them. Eli's refusal to, refusal to restrain his grown sons reveals he apparently did not train them adequately when they were young. God held him responsible for their, their deeds. He held Eli responsible. It is true that grown children can be evil in spite of proper parental training. I realize that when they were young. However, God does not hold parents responsible in such cases. And this is a reason parents need to train and restrain their children when they were young. When parents do everything they can to train their children correctly, they're not culpable when the children as adults make wrong choices and go the wrong direction. Now, I said all that. I'm going to say this. Is it possible to train the child 
in the right way, but train the, let me get this right, to train the, the child to do right, but do it the wrong way. What am I talking about? Anybody raise your hands. What am I talking about? Is it possible? Go ahead, Bob. It matters how you do it. Anybody help me with that? Yes. Yeah. Trying to do the right, but you did it the wrong way. Yeah. The thing is that you now are going to shine. I mean, really, I, I see in church, so apparently with something done right here. <laughs> and her opportunity to shine is, is here. It really is. I can, I can see that, both her and, and John. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you, you see how God moves in situations, and, and you don't necessarily like them, but then you see people step up, and I see that with them. You know, I, I see them stepping up, and that's, that's, a, that's a very positive thing. But, yeah, we can do, we can try to, to do the right thing the wrong way. And, and I, I really, I, I see that a lot. And, again, children are individuals. You made that statement. And I, I, it's difficult at best when you've got one parent that's trying to serve God and the other one isn't, and you're trying to raise your children the right way. It's very difficult to do. It's doable. But it's very difficult to do it. And so, you know, each, it's, each case is a little different within itself. But I, and I've seen things through the years. You've seen people who, you know, I, I'm going to raise these children to 18 years old until they leave my house and then put them in God's hands. And, and you could watch it. You could watch it. It was they didn't want to fool with them. They didn't want to. You're going to dress this way. You're going to look this way. And this is where you long during my house. You're going to do this. And those kids couldn't wait. They did everything right. Eighteen, they went ballistic. Am I correct? 
and raising your children, they need to know why. You have something, brother? I can't hear you. I have to yell. Yeah, yeah. When they see the, what happens at the, yeah. And, and that's what, you know, I think every parent, they, they want to save their children from having to go through some of those hardships that they know they're going to go through. But some are just destined to do so. Go ahead. exactly that is exactly right that that's a tire a family needs to be tight mom and dad need to be tight they need to be saying the same thing doing the same thing and and it makes all the difference in the world let's go to another one then adonijah the son of haggith exalted himself saying i will be king and he prepared him chariots and horsemen 50 men to run before him and his father had not Listen to this. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why have thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. In David, this is King David's son, in David's declining years, his son Adonijah decided he would be king instead of his father. Now, David had promised the throne to another son, Solomon, but Adonijah continued to plot against his father, going so far as to have himself ceremonially, ceremoniously declared king. And although Adonijah's conspiracy failed, David, now listen, it's what I just read to you, David displeased the Lord by not restraining him. He never questioned Adonijah or, or displeased him. In other words, David did nothing to restrain him. This is another example of a failure to adequately train a child when he was young. Consequently, David was unable to restrain him when he was grown. So if you just ignore him and don't tell him no when they're young, you can't tell them no when they get older. Absolutely cannot. And that's the hardest thing to do. I guarantee you that I'm going to get some people to say amen when you say that you back out of your children's life as you get older. You should. I mean, as far as trying to tell them, direct them, you give them wisdom if they ask, but you don't interfere with them. Because at that point, there's nothing you're going to do anyway. 
And if you haven't done a good job when they were young, they're going to do whatever they want to when they get older. And so you, 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 know, you, you kind of back out and you try to give them wisdom. I know that there's times I love my children desperately and they're the best in the world. But there's times I bite my lower lip till it almost bleeds. You know, and I see them disciplining their children the way I discipline them. Of course, as a grandfather, you don't want to discipline them at all. That's the truth. And I know they're right. But there's that part. You change as you get older. All it changes. You know, it's the same way being, being I'll be glad to be senior pastor for a while. Because I'm going to put everything, if you all want him, which I hope you do, I put everything on him. And then I can just have everybody come up and I can hug them and say it's all right. And he can tell them everything they've done wrong. That's what I want to do. <laughs> It'll be up to him to discipline, not me. I'll just pat you on the head and say, I know, I know. <laughs> oh, my. So David, he, you know, he, he was too late for him. Discipline is training or experience that corrects, molds, strengthens, or perfects, especially the mental faculties or faculties rather, or the moral character. Discipline originates from the Latin word disciplina, which means teaching or instruction. Parents are teachers. Let us not be weary. And this is one I've been going through my mind over and over and over again. I was listening to some of you. And, and this is a scripture. Let us not be worrying well doing for in due season. We shall reap if we faint not in Galatians 6, 9. Because listen, when you were talking, you know, you do get frustrated. I get frustrated. still get frustrated. And, and uh, I just, I, but you're not to grow weary and well doing. For in due season there is going to be a reaping. That due season is very hard sometimes to wait on. But there is. The trouble is a lot of times we miss it. When it comes, when everything comes together, we're too busy or we're working on something else and we don't see it come together. Or we see it come together and we don't see how it come together. We miss the whole thing altogether. And, and, and that's sad. You know, it, it's, it's vital for us. I, you know, I, something good happened the other day uh, that I've been praying about for some time. And, and, and I, I try to stop wherever I'm at when it happens and start thanking God for the, for the fact that it, it did happen. Everybody needs to do that. And every time your child does something right, not only do you tell them, but you thank God for it. You need to thank God for it. Now, there is more than one way to instruct a child. It can be done with love and firm limits. That's the right way. Love and firm limits. Or it can be done harshly and with no tolerance. And obviously, discipline should be balanced. The ideal way to discipline is with love and, to, and kindness, yet with understood firmness. If a child feels love from an instructing parent but experiences no restraint, that child will experience confusion. The child needs to receive clear signals as to what is expected of them. And parents also need to make sure that they exercise or discipline is consistent. Most children believe, you know, when you tell your young one that you're going to beat their hind ends, forgive me. I just have to say it. When they go home, be sure you do it. You know, be sure that that child knows that he's going to get his hind end whipped when he gets home. And I know that's harsh, and I know it's politically incorrect to say such things. So if you want to turn me into the Herald Times, I'll, I'll, they, can, they, can write, they can write a letter to the editor about me or whatever you want to do. That's fine. But it's still the right way of doing it. You know, you just be sure that you, you, you do that with love. 
I've heard, I've, I've never seen it personally, but I've heard of people who did uh, discipline with the, uh, with a whipping on the backside who would cry along with the child. I never was blessed getting whipped that way. They never cried. My, my dad and mom never cried when they whipped me, but I sure did a lot of it. And you know, it didn't turn out so bad, I don't think. I have to ask my wife about that. Um, so a child needs to have clear signals as to what's expected of them. And, and be sure you're consistent. Most children believe restraints curtail their freedoms. And children always want more freedom. Always. However, freedoms bring responsibilities. Parents often experience frustration when rearing a child because they sense they're not getting across to their children the necessary instructions and help they need. But parents need to be encouraged. More of, of their training is being received by the children than they may realize. After they're grown, many children thank their parents for what they've done. That's what you, you made mention of earlier. I, I've seen this, and I've heard people through the years uh, make statements, too, concerning uh, their children. That, And I remember going back to, to, to years, I remember seeing children who they played on the pews, they had their cars, they played underneath the pews, they went to sleep under the pews, they did all of these things. And, and yet the parent would tell me that that child would tell them when they got home what I preached. And, and, and you know, you looked at them and how in the world could they know? They were asleep, but yet they did. So don't ever, <laughs> don't ever take for granted that the child's not hearing what's being said. In fact, I, I got a, a, uh, a little video sent to me of Sawyer, and he, was, he had four ties on, and he, had, he was preaching. And he come up to the camera, and he had this horrible-looking face. And Krista asked him what the face was, and he said, that's how I look when I preached. <laughs> so, so I'm going to start watching how my facial expressions here. I mean, it was a bad face. It was really giving it a... Yeah, all right, questions or comments concerning anything here? Yes. Yeah. I was just... My, my, I grew up in a, in a great home. Uh, my parents weren't perfect, but I, uh, I was just sitting here thinking about what, why I'm still in church and why my brothers and sisters... Uh, I have actually one sister that's not, but uh, I was trying to figure out what the success, why, what my mom and dad did, right? And the first thing I thought of and uh, was that they created an atmosphere of love. And uh, my dad, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old, my dad still kisses on me. I mean, it, it can be embarrassing when you're in high school, when you're a... Uh, freshman or sophomore in high school. I know Ethan hates when I kiss on him. But my dad still, he's, I'm 40 years old almost, and he still, my dad still kisses on me. He does that to all my brothers and sisters. He still wrestles with this and fight, you know, wrestles and plays. But here's the, the thing was, when I went out into a world that there was no love, when I was wrong and I was uh, down, uh, I always come back home. And a, and a child will always go find a place where he's loved. And uh, I know there's more than just kissing and hugging and stuff like that. And you, don't, you rarely see that anymore. But uh, 
even though I'm still, I, I say I don't like it, there's still, to me, there's nothing like going back home, even at 40, and dad and mom loving on you. And kids will always find the place, their sanctuary, a place of love. They'll always do it. I don't care how far out they go. If you create an atmosphere of love at home, they'll never leave it because they have to have it. The, the kids that don't want to come home, they don't feel love. Yeah, that's true. I know that's very true. Maybe that's what I need to do, start being meaner at home, keep my kids away. Leave me alone. <laughs> No. Go ahead, Bob. That's a truth. That's a truth. Yeah, he's just saying that how we just talk to, especially if you get five, four, five, six years old, what we say, how we say it to a kid that can make an impression, and that's true. That can last all their life. The other day, uh, again, we're going back to to uh, to Sawyer. He was talking about some superheroes. And I looked at him just as serious as I could, and I said, you know, I said, Sawyer, I'm the Hulk. He looks at me, and he said, no, you're not. I said, yeah, Sawyer, I'm the Hulk. He said, you kidding me? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I'm kidding you. <laughs> I'm not the Hulk. I said, I'm Captain America. <laughs> so, you know, you... Uh, you do. What did you say? That reminded me of it. You, you makes an impression. Those kids, you know, you say something that uh, you're, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds are going to just blow off. You know, they're kidding. You say it to a 4 or 5-year-old, and, and it's a different story altogether. Are you kidding me? Are you really the Hulk? I didn't think I looked that bad. But then he makes bad faces at me, so, you know, it could very well be. Anybody else? Questions or comments? We've got time. But go ahead, Brent. Yeah, it's sad. They apparently didn't get it in their own heart. You know, if you feel that way, you don't get it in your own heart. And uh, uh, that's sad. It comes a time everybody has to make their own decisions when it comes to that, but you've got to set the right example. Go ahead. True. Well, 
that attitude, <laughs> that attitude started at a very young age. So, I mean, you abdicate the responsibility at a very young age, and then it just continues on. And they just, you know, a child, we know a child will push you as far as they can push you. Now, just how, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? What can I get away with? And uh, they want to know that you're not, and I, you know, I, I, I go back and I, I think of our children. And uh, my daughter told me that if, she said, if you tell me not to marry Jason, she said, I won't. And uh, I said, honey, I said, it, it's time for you to leave the house. You need to go. So go ahead and marry me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I, I really, I really, uh, that, that shown very well on how her mother raised her. <laughs> you know? See, it was just really, uh, and that meant so much to me. I'll never forget that because a lot of times, I have sat in my office before and told young ladies, you, you better not marry that guy. didn't make any difference. And they wound up divorced. Yeah, they wound up divorced. So it's, uh, it's sad. Anybody else? Go ahead, Charles. This, that's that's good. That's exactly right. We have that short time. Well, it's good to see you. Let's see. You're getting old, you know. Not as old as me, but. <laughs> oh, good to see. We we graduated together. Oh, yeah. Can you believe that? He knew me in a bad. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that now. <laughs> That's always, you always, when you get people that knew you in the past, you, you want to be sure they keep their mouths shut. <laughs> well, the good thing about that is they know the change in you. Anybody else? Go ahead, man. That's a good point. That's right. That's very good. Because you, you do. And there again, we go back to how it's presented. 
a great deal. Uh, not only, you know, it, uh, the biggest part is going to be the parents, but it's also, you know, you you got the church, you got the teachers. We all need to be saying the same thing is what I'm saying. And it, it has to be, and that's what makes a big difference. Very good, thank you. Anybody else? Go ahead. Now, try to say it again. If you don't have control of the children before they're seven, that after seven you won't have control of them. That's, that very well could be. How about you young people in here? Anybody here want to tell me you're going to Barneal? No? Okay. How about the Goa? <laughs> How about the Galapagos Islands? Would you like to go there? <laughs> Anybody? Anything you want to add? Is your mom a good mom? You sure? Because she's just sitting over there and you're afraid to tell the truth. <laughs> she's a good mom? Dad's not here. Is he a good dad? Okay. Yeah. And you? We know about your mom. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Ethan? You got a good mom and dad? <laughs> you got a good mom. <laughs> well, we'll leave that one alone right now. <laughs> the problem with Ethan is he is a lot like that one sitting on the platform. <laughs> You'll get him later now. There's going to be a big fight when you get out. You know that. <laughs> Anybody else? Nothing. Am I looking back here? I'm missing somebody. Okay. All right. Stand with me. Some really good input. It's, and I hope, I hope that some of you, especially you, you younger parents, that you can put some of this into action and realize how much of a responsibility it is when you have a child, and you just don't let that child raise itself. You don't ignore that child after it gets. You know, some some women want to have babies, and when they get up about three or four years old, they don't want them anymore. So they just kind of throw them out. They're on their own. And that's sad. We have a responsibility, I think, till the day we die. I really do. I think that that never stops. We have that responsibility. All right, let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. We praise and magnify you. We ask, God, that you would touch each and every one. Lord, with the strength of your might, I ask now in Jesus' name. Come early to pray tonight. Let's have, a good, let's, let's have some good Pentecostal church this evening.